I'm Nick Harvey-Doyle, an Anawan man from the Northern Tablelands of New South Wales. The uncurated podcast is made on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong people. We'd like to acknowledge First Nations people as the first storytellers. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and the 60,000 years of forgotten stories they've told of country. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Can you name any buildings on campus named after women? Glyn Davis is potentially a woman, but I actually have no clue if that's true. God, that's embarrassing for the uni, isn't it? Elizabeth Murdoch building. Off the top of my head, probably not. (laughs) I don't think I do. I literally don't think I can name a single one. Are there any? There are precisely two teaching buildings at the University of Melbourne campus named after a woman. And they are named after the same one, Elizabeth Murdoch. She was a philanthropist as well as being a patron of the Australian Family Association, a conservative Christian political organisation that campaigned against same-sex marriage, trans rights and reproductive rights. She was also the mother of, you guessed it, Rupert Murdoch. There is one other University of Melbourne building named after a woman, Lisa Bellier House. This piece of student accommodation named after the Indigenous artist, poet and activist is located 10 minutes off the main campus. The people we choose to memorialise tell us a lot about our future. And the fact that there are no women researchers commemorated on campus tells us a lot about what we value in the present. I return to the question I asked four weeks ago, back in our first episode. Where are all the women? Especially the Australian women we know are making global contributions to science and mathematics. I'm Sasha Gadamayer and this is Uncurated, a podcast from the University of Melbourne. Every week, we take an object buried in the university's 12 museums and uncover its hidden history. This season, we've looked at objects that tell extraordinary stories. We want to know why these stories were forgotten and what that says about us. This week, for our last episode of the season, reporter Jade Murray uncovers the silent history of women in Australian science and one researcher in particular who broke a glass ceiling. But now, she seems largely forgotten. I'm sitting in the middle of the Laby Theatre, an old lecture hall in the David Caro building on the University of Melbourne's Parkville campus. I'm here to look for evidence of the legacy of a scientist called Jean Laby. It's not as big as I was expecting. Looking down from the top entrance of the room, the rows of chairs are tightly stacked, submerging on a steep decline to the lecturer's desk. There are those extendable whiteboards and big overhead projectors. I'm imagining what it looked like some 80 years ago, when it was almost only men here. Jean Laby was the first woman to graduate from the School of Physics with a PhD. She was an atmospheric physicist whose world-class research made a significant contribution to the study of cosmic rays and climatology. But this lecture theatre isn't named after Jean. It's dedicated to her father, Thomas Laby. He held the chair of natural philosophy and was the inaugural president of the Australian Institute of Physics. It seems these titles afforded him his recognition on campus. It makes me wonder how Jean would have been commemorated if she was a man. Outside the lecture theatre doors is the Ed Moorhead Physics Museum. The whole museum has a wonderful collection of about 150 objects which go from about 1895 through to 1950. And all these objects are made or crafted in Melbourne at the School of Physics. Joe Pascoe is a poet. 
He also co-curated the Labie exhibits within this collection. It's in two glass cabinets. I can see her camera and recorder, some long glass tubes, and of course, her doctoral thesis. In terms of Jean Labie herself, her, her main claim to fame was, was climate research in the 1950s. And to do that, she used Geiger counter and attached glass tubes to weather balloons, which went up and measured the cosmic rays which come from the sun. Joe told me that Jean used weather balloons to collect data in the Southern Hemisphere, where her research contributed greatly to global knowledge. I asked Joe if he thought that Jean Labie's work was appropriately recognised on campus. I think uh, Jean Labie could have been more recognised in her time, but I think uh, that's part of the wider malaise of the university. It was still a male-dominated facility, I think. Uh, she, she certainly was a trailblazer, and without people like her, the School of Physics, well, we would have got dragged into the 20th century. I'm realising just how many buildings there are on campus named after significant men. Even the building where I have my journalism classes is named after Sir John Medley, the 1938 Vice-Chancellor who joined the Eugenic Society of Victoria. And considering there's a spectrum of gender identities, I can only imagine how long it's going to take to see evidence of this being acknowledged. This makes me wonder, what else is there on campus remembering Jean Labie? I'm walking down Professor's Walk, outside the Bailey U Library. I'm looking for a bronze plaque with Labie's name on it. There are hundreds of plaques scattered along this pathway, kind of like the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but for recipients of the University of Melbourne Award. Okay, so I'm starting at the bottom here. Donald, Jesse, John, John. Lots of Johns. I'm sure it's here somewhere. Oh my God, here it is. Jean Labie, 1915 to 2008. Distinguished atmospheric physicist. First female PhD in physics at the university. Honestly, now that I've seen it, it's a little bit underwhelming this brick-sized plaque to commend Jean for being the first woman to receive a PhD in physics. It's not a building you can look up on. These almost go unnoticed, getting stepped on by thousands of feet. As a science student, Jean Laby was often the only woman in the room. In one interview, she said the lecturer often didn't call her name during roll call because it was so obvious she was there. She had similar experiences as a senior lecturer at the Australian Defence Force Academy. Sometimes the uh, cadets, when they came into the lectures in the morning, would say, good morning, sir. (laughs) And uh, other times when I would go to meetings, society meetings, they would say, lady and gentleman. Jean was never promoted beyond senior lecturer and was never given a reason. Even though she had been published in world-class journals and acknowledged by many for her enormous contribution to physics. Uh, What we have here is Jean Labie's PhD thesis, Atmospheric Winds and Cosmic Rays at Balloon Altitudes, um, which was finished in 1959. I'm talking to senior archivist Katie Wood. She's holding Jean Labie's doctoral thesis. As, as most theses are, it's sort of bound in 
dark blue, almost royal blue, with uh, gold writing on the side. And then, of course, the old school kind of tight uh, fool's cap size pages with, and this is what they had to do back in the day before computers, when you had uh, images in your thesis, she's actually taken photographs and pasted them in. And it feels such like a privilege to see it. It does, doesn't it? As I'm flipping through the thesis with Katie, I can see photos of weather balloons and other equipment she used during flights. I asked her when she first learned about Levy's work. We actually only recently received her papers, her research papers, because a lot of them are technical research papers. Um, You know, we haven't exactly known (laughs) what was in them or how significant the actual content of the documents are because I would love to see more people look at this material and realise not only was she significant for the fact that she was the first female physics lecturer, uh, but that her work contributed uh, to really important contemporary questions. After looking through these complex equations in Leiby's thesis, it's clear I'm going to need some help to understand what this science means. I reached out to Professor Elisabetta Barberio from the university's Department of Physics, who is the director of the Australian Research Council's Centre of Excellence. Yeah, I was the first centre director, ARC centre director, that was a woman and not Anglo. I was not born in Australia, I'm Italian, you can hear an accent. So her thesis was on, um, you know, atmospheric winds and cosmic rays, and she did a lot of work with weather balloons. But I wonder if you could tell me, what is a weather balloon and and why why would we use it? At the time that she was doing the PhD and the research, and it was the most updated physics of the time, so studying the cosmic ray and the weather and the balloon, it was giving us an insight of what matter is made of. Despite her amazing work, she was never promoted beyond senior lecturer. And so do you have any thoughts on that? And do you think that's still an issue? Um, I had a colleague, this is in Europe, and um, she was uh, with a group that had one of the most amazing discovery at the time. We call it neutral current. But she was not put in the paper because she got pregnant and even if she did most of the work because they, when they wrote the paper she was delivering she was not in the paper so this was the level at, it was similar when she was you know at the time of Jean Leiby so this was the kind of uh, attitude that it was at the time even if you go above the glass ceiling there is always this perception or this part that you are different and it's not only being a woman for me it's also being that I'm not an Anglo. And so there is also a different perception of uh, my value and also my style that is different from what an Anglo male may expect. Uh, But I think they are trying, the university is trying to be honest. Um, for example, we had the opening of the uh, um, underground lab last week and there was a lot of women put in the front line to give the interview and the face of the project. But yes, I agree that women should be celebrated more. This has me wondering what has really changed within the science industry. I decided to meet with someone from the immunology department at the Peter Doherty Institute across from campus. I would say that there is still definitely a bias towards 
um, male lab heads and principal investigators. That's M. Borden. Her department is female-dominated, but she feels that women sometimes find it harder to get grants, and so they can't move up. Um, it's been disappointing sometimes to see colleagues leave academia when it was their choice, but it felt like it was only because they hadn't succeeded in grants. So all the STEM-related buildings on campus are named after men. How do you think that that kind of would reflect the systemic prejudice against women who are studying and teaching here? Now thinking about my own building, all our meeting rooms are also named after male scientists, even the institute itself being the Peter Doan Institute. I feel like that is something that definitely could be changed. I'm sure some women would, you know... Uh, really appreciate to have that balance in terms of recognition would be good. (laughs) My jaw dropped when Em said all the meeting rooms in her work were named after men. When I was first looking into Jean Labie's story, I was really excited to find her exhibition in the David Cairo building. A giant picture of her face sitting proudly next to her equipment. I was convinced that she hadn't been forgotten, even though she didn't have a building named after her. But my perspective has changed. Now this small exhibit, two sorry glass cabinets, represents something else entirely. I look at them and wonder if she's being used as the token woman in a university led by men. In part, these cabinets are exhibit A for the way in which women's scientific achievements are routinely minimised. Not just here, but in general. But in part, it's also a reminder to me of female perseverance in a male environment. It's a success story, and a reminder that we need to do more to celebrate these successes. That story was made by Jade Murray. Uncurated is made on the land of the Wurundjeri people. I'm the host of season two, Sasha Gadamaya. Our series producer is Praline Kara. Sound design is by Sean Roos and Thomas Phillips. Our theme tune is by Ben Salter as part of the Living Instruments Project. Our executive producer is Louisa Lim. Special thanks to everyone at the Museums and Collections Department at the University of Melbourne. This is a podcast from the Centre for Advancing Journalism.